Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening, you're listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings America's number one sportsbook app. Joined by John Schuster and a guy who wishes he was Pete Williams, but he's actually Matt Mulebach. I'm just, I'm merely Mike Luke. Hello, fellas. What's happening? All right, let's talk, let's talk about this game right here. And first and foremost, guys, this was a game where I don't even know exactly how to put it right here. It. This was Arizona. This was, I think, what Tommy Lloyd envisioned when he took over Arizona basketball here. This was a game where, and Schuster, you talked about this from day one, where he wanted to essentially, he wanted to run the court. He wanted to do, he wanted to exert himself on others and did just that. I could watch Arizona and Creighton play about 20 times this year and uh, not be disappointed in uh, any of the matchups just from a pure entertaining basketball uh, component element. And uh, I, I thought this was, you know, it, it was nice to see Arizona hold on uh, against a spirited comeback at the end. I think two things uh, it's, it's all right. I'll bring up the negatives because there are so few because Arizona had a, a very good tournament has presented itself as being a legitimate uh team that's going to be on the national stage again this year uh, and and obviously brings a lot of good things to the equation from an equation standpoint that they, they clearly are a problem on the inside and if you do that with performances like Creesa and Ramey on the outside you're going to be difficult to deal with that's obviously the baseline for where Arizona is but I think as this season moves along a couple of things uh, that are going to present themselves are Arizona's rel- the concern about Arizona's relative inability to hold on to a lead. And they had a lead, they, they had a double figure lead in this game uh, that obviously got away from them. And I think the issue late in games for Arizona isn't going to be so much the question of who's going to make the big shot, but who's going to be able to get the big stop. And that may be, if you want to simplify this as much as possible, the uh, overall fortune of Arizona's season might rest on how capable they are of getting a big defensive play at a key time uh, and how much that allows them to be successful. Mr. Muehlbach, if possible, would you be able to get some headphones? We're getting a wicked echo on your end. Are you? Okay. Yeah, let me... um... Uh, but let's me, get let's get your thoughts for let's get your thoughts first before you look. Give me a couple minutes. I, I'm just like I'm blown away right now. You got the back of the A right there, uh, Luke. Shoe's <laughs> got a microphone that looks like some sort of professional. I got lights in the background that are. Oh, I like them. I got hanging laundry back here, a refrigerator. I mean, it's it's which it's, I love. Not, it's not set up for for conducive for this. But by the way, John Schuster on the on the pod right here. This is incredible. No, no, you're in, be being here. You're incredible. We're just I mean, along for the ride, and and uh, we hope you have a good holiday as well. I like that. See, it shows it shows the value of home ownership, a natural element that you bring to the broadcast. The squeaky fan in the background is beautiful. It kind of provides right. a different bit of lighting. It's almost it's almost like I'm watching disco in slow motion, and I love every second of it. <laughs> well, how great was that? By the way, I you know I've said this for years. I'm, I'm going to go up. I'm going to go kind of go high level right here. How amazing is it that during Thanksgiving for the last really 30 years, 35 years or whatever it is, that Arizona fans are treated 
to watching Arizona play in these feast week, you know, the NIT in New York, you know, wherever they play, Hawaii, New York, Alaska, you name it. How cool is it this time of year? You got the merging of football, basketball, such a great time of year for TV, Thanksgiving. I love it. It's one of my favorite holidays. And to sit back and all the years that we can, you know, kind of go back and say, Arizona is in these huge games where they play Duke and Michigan and Creighton and, you know, San Diego State last night and see just some amazing basketball. And we all, you know, a lot of times we look at the end. Did Arizona win the, you know, get to the final four? Did they win the national title? And and look, you want to do that as a program and a high level program like Arizona, but to be able to during this week, every year, see a team play in the national spotlight and, and a lot of times win, win these tournaments, right? Right. It's an incredible treat for Arizona fans. What's also impressive, too, and let's talk about it, is, and Matt, if you could maybe get those headphones, that would be awesome here. Yeah. Appreciate you, bro. Um, the, the thing about it, though, Shu, that I think is incredibly impressive right now is that, first of all, Umar Ballo, your uh, Maui Championship MVP, I under no circumstances saw that one happening. Um, before the season 30 and 13 he was an absolute force and what we've talked about before is that he has an ability to stop runs how many times when you know when it looked like Creighton was going on a run would they dump the ball down to him he either gets fouled he gets a finish or whoever gets in the lane he gets the ball he's strong with it and he goes up and he just he just dunks it he is a he is a godsend that I I didn't see I thought he'd be solid I didn't see him being this well, you know, this is now two consecutive years where Arizona's main big guy is better coming into the season than anticipated. Uh, you had this same storyline with Coloco last year. Uh, wasn't it the Michigan game at about yep. this time in the season where Coloco had 23 points and something like 14 rebounds? And people at that time were wondering, where did this come from and how are they going to stop him? And right. now and now Ballo's doing the same Great thing. Point. Uh, you know, he had 20 points in the first half. Uh, he was absolutely dominant in that capacity. There were portions of of play in the second half where I don't want to say he disappeared, but maybe he hit a little bit of a wall, obviously late in the game. And that's important uh, when guards were able to get him the basketball in good position on the floor, he was uh, able to finish. And that was pretty much what gave Arizona just enough to hold on in a spirited rally uh, from Creighton. But again, you look at overall numbers, and I know Ballo's numbers stick out with the 30 and 13, rightfully so. He should be the tournament MVP. Fantastic performance. But you couple that with what Tabellus did. He probably had, what, 15 in this game? So mm. you got your two inside players who scored in the mid-40s to somewhere near 50 again, probably combined for, for low 20s in rebounds. And that's a formidable inside presence that clearly a lot of other teams are uh, going to struggle with this year. And with the, if the strategy is just get it inside at, some, at, at a number of points throughout the course of the game, then you can salvage a possession here and try to quell a run that it seems like Arizona might give up. The style of play that Arizona has up and down is going to lend itself to going on 14 to two runs and maybe giving up a 10 to two run here and there as well to make things a little bit more frustrating than a lot of Wildcat fans and the coaching staff might like. I think that's going to be the nature of the game, but the way to limit that is to go inside. All right. Now, Kirk Risa, this is a guy that's been beat up a lot during his time here, you know, um, whether it's for flashiness, flamboyance, not making his shots. We talked about him a great deal going into the season. Just need him to be able to make his shots. He has... I'll tell you what, man, he took a different step right here in this game. He became a true difference maker. And it wasn't just the three points. It was getting into the lane. It was dishes. It was he had he's his vision is underrated as well. There was just a lot to really like about him. Yeah, they're obviously on the defensive end. Uh, teams are going to look at him to try to be a guy that they think they can exploit. I thought Creasa for about 30 minutes in this game was even pretty solid on the defensive end, which uh, is about all you can ask. Nebhard got most of his points, uh, and he had a lot in the second half, but most of them were in a block of about five minutes when Creighton was trying to make uh, the late push. But uh, on the offensive end, Creasa again was excellent. Uh, he is balancing confidence with a willingness to distribute, and it doesn't seem to. 
I think I don't know if we're going to get triple doubles out of him, but I think there's going to be a, a number of games this year where he's close, and he may be a double double re- get rebound uh, score and rebound uh, score and assist guy rather uh, from time to time, and that's uh, his addition is uh, very instrumental because it means that Arizona isn't necessarily just an inside team, but they now have two guys on the inside who can score and two guys on the perimeter who can be dangerous as well, and if you can spread the wealth like that then as a starting lineup, that's pretty tough to deal with. Mr. Muehlbach, Mr. Triple Double himself, um, we were uh, just talking about Kerr. We were talking about uh, Umar and just all the advancements that these guys were able to make out there, Matt. Yeah, can you hear me okay now? Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, you know, I remember last year when Umar Balo came to the team and Tommy Lloyd had him as a transfer. And I remember thinking to myself, he, he basically brought him because, you know, he he recruited him and he was so close to him. But it was basically to kind of get him out of Gonzaga. You know, he was behind a lot of bigs. I honestly didn't think he would play last year more than like 20 minutes the whole year. Right. And and I I, I believe he should have been the sixth man of the year. And nothing to take away from Pella because Pella and him were like, you know, 1A and 1B to me. But now he's gone. like He seriously could be not only the sixth man of the year last year, but now the most improved this year. And like, he's, he was like, like you said, he was the MVP of the tournament. It wasn't even close. I, I, I've never seen in 30 years, a player get better in a year and three, four months than Umar Bala at Arizona. I've never seen it at Arizona. Hey, let me ask, ask you guys this. And I was thinking about this and I'm sure there is, I'm just really kind of blanking on one. I can't remember the last time that Arizona had a back to the basket big where you could just get him the ball and you're going to feel pretty comfortable that they're going to score. I mean, I know that Aiton, Aiton generally wasn't that guy though. He was more of a, an, a good athlete, a good, but you watch Ballo and he gets the ball and it's a variety of different ways. He's got both the right and the left-handed hook. He's got the ability to be able to duck under. He's taking his time now. His hands are fantastic. This is this is what, and again, I, I, I want to be careful here, but guys, this is what an All-American type player looks like in these type of games. And Muehlbach, I'll let you address. You're probably better on the history <laughs> front with uh, back-of-the-basket players uh, as far as Arizona's concerned off the, off the top of my head than I am. I, I, I don't know. You'd have to go back to, like, you know, Michael Wright or, you know, yeah. players like that. That's who I, I mean, thought. I, I mean, what I've been impressed with are things that I know Tommy Lloyd's work with him, you know, a ton. And, um, you know, the improvement and Tommy and the development. But like you said it, you said it, Mike, like his ability to catch, catch in traffic. Uh, Kirk Kreese put him in some situations on the break where I thought he was, you know, kind of some tough situations. He still caught it. He has great footwork at the top of the key. He catches the ball like in the fast break catches it, footwork, turns, screens. I, I mean, I'm just blown away by how good he's been. And as you said, in all facets, back to the basket, left hand, right hand, he's got the little, you know, kind of little shimmy in the lane. He has that little right-handed hook now. He's got the left-handed hook. Um, it, it's just, it's beautiful to watch. And he's such a great kid too. Like, I think if, you know, people knew him, like the nicest guy on the team. All right, real quick, and then I want to get to Kirk Creasy here because we got to talk a lot about that. And Matt, I'm curious, you and I talked about him. I'm curious to get your take. But two things. First of all, a lot of people think that the four peaks are the actual U of A Big Ben. They would be mistaken. It's actually a brewery, the official brew of PHNX Sports. Go up to Tempe. I've been trying to get Matt to use it. I don't think Matt's going to probably plan on using it. That's okay. I don't blame him. Um, But go up to Tempe. Good watch parties. You can make fun of ASU up there, or you can come down to Tap and Bottle down here and come to the watch parties. Matt's been to some, Mr. Triple Double. John Schuster's been to them. And again, they have four peaks there as well. Scott and Rebecca do a great job downtown. We're going to get those started for Arizona basketball coming up here shortly. But again, Four Peaks Brewery, the official brew of PHNX. Check it out in the link in the description and Tap and Bottle watch parties. All right, Kirk Carissa, before the season – you And you and I talked about this a ton, Matt, uh, and Shu, you and I did as well. All I wanted was 40% shooting, 40% three. What you've seen in the last couple games here is a player that is not just kind of that standstill shooter, but a guy who was getting in the lane and stressing a defense and 
when you stress a defense in the manner in which he is, it opens things up. And the big one that I can think about is when uh, uh, Creighton cut the lead to, I think, I believe it was six or something. He got into lane and then he did the little nifty behind back pass to Ballo for a dunk right there. That is next level. That goes from being just a shooter to being a difference maker there, Matt. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Shu take that because he's always been a guy that stressed the defense and, and put pressure on defense. So, Shu, you go <laughs> ahead there, buddy. Yeah, yeah, I, I uh, stressed the defense by shooting from half court because I was too lazy to uh, – my, my cardio sucked and I didn't want to run. Uh, and, and, the, and the defense was like – what are you? I'm, I'm not going to guard that. It's kind of like it's kind of like Arizona's defense where they don't guard the big guy on the outside. That's how I was defended. Yeah, I stress the defense. All right, um, but uh, you know, one of the things that I think is uh, interesting here across the board, and um, you know, you've t- and I think it's going to be a theme about uh, this year um, is and and not just this show. You're talking about the development of Ballo. We talked about last year the development of Coloco. But if you go up and down this roster, I think you see a big leap from a number of players, potentially. I think Tabellus is better this year. Mm-hmm. Crease uh, um, yeah. is definitely better this year. And so you have guys who are in this system uh, who seem to be improving. I was chatting with somebody uh, off the line who was talking about Sean Miller's last recruiting class. And Sean Miller's l- last it was recruiting a good one. class is Matherin, Terry, Tabellus, Creesa and I think a transfer who's playing at a Texas school. Um, Daniel Bacho. That's it. Mm-hmm. But so you could favorably argue that that's the that that's Miller's best recruiting class and doing it at a difficult time. However, is the reason that you could make that argument? I think it's a favorable argument based on how they've performed. Is because Tommy Lloyd was the guy who got and his coaching staff were in position to develop them. So how good a developer? is Tommy Lloyd, when you compare him not just to Arizona coaches who have been here, but on a national scale right now. And it right. seems to be that the answer is, at the very least, pretty darn good. Yeah. Well, I mean, remember when he came to Tucson, uh, Tommy said, you know, he, he was known for the being the European recruiter, right? And, and he said, yeah, when we were at Gonzaga, we, we had to try every which way to compete with teams like Arizona. And, and Kansas and, you know, the teams in the top 10. And he said, but people forget the way we really did it, not only was the European, um, you, you know, pipeline was development. And he said that was his number one thing that he did for 20 some years was develop players at Gonzaga. So I'm with you, Shu. You know, Miller brought some great players and, and Tommy Lloyd did two things. One, develop them. But I think at the same time, the system he's running and putting them in place, you know, to be as good as they are. I want to go back to Creasa though for a second because mm-hmm. I, I'm always I'm always fascinated with with players at this level or the next level or even high school for that matter, and and the ability of confidence you know and what confidence can do to you and I've I've maintained since Kirk Reese has been here that in some regards he almost has irrational confidence like he doesn't really have <laughs> right like he's so confident in what he does. I'm not sure he has the game to back it up, but what's happened is he does have the game. Like his game is meeting his confidence. And it's a beautiful thing because, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? And what he's done though, with that confidence, his belief system in himself, you know, his, his work ethic, what he did this summer, to your point, Mike, to create more opportunities from inside the arc, his first two years, he was shooting threes at a rate of about, I think, 84%. 85%, yeah. Was it 85? Yeah. And he just he never got inside the line. I mean, never got to the rim. You know, you see all these guys with floaters now. Rim, you know, Rimheart was like a great example of that, how good he is inside the lane. But you made a great point, Mike. He made some really great plays inside the three-point line late in that game. He made some great plays against San Diego State on the, you know, from two kind of a little hook shot from the right side. He got inside the lane a couple of times, got to the rim. So he's added that to his game in addition to what I say is like he's in the top five in the Pac-12 in confidence and belief in himself. And that's part of what's – it's it's a skill. It really is an amazing skill. I, I believe if I had as much confidence as he had, I'd be announcing on TNT and not in college. Um, oh, Brad, but, I mean, but you, you wouldn't have been able to be with KO for a while, though. 
That's right. I mean, let's That's be honest right. here. Real quick, Jacob Franklin, our esteemed producer, by the way, we have the tallest producer in the world, Matt. Uh, Matt. He's six foot eight, yeah. and he's one of the smartest producer. people out there. Yes, wow. exactly. Okay. He okay. is. Uh, none of this happens without Jacob. But uh, we've got uh, 20 people watching on Twitter. If you want to switch over to YouTube to uh, interact with us, feel free. But, um, yeah, just wanted to put that out there. All right. Now, let's talk now about the the development here and how this roster fits. And I figured this out for the first time, and I wanted to ask both of you guys because John Schuster has been a – he's been a uh, – he's admired Gonzaga from afar for many years. As long as I've known Schuster, he's been a – He's been a big Gonzaga guy because of their style, and I'll let I'll let you explain why. But what makes this team? Because there's not Kirk Reese is not a next level athlete per se. Umar Ballo is not a next level athlete. Uh, but what makes them be able to play at this pace, guys? I mean, because again, this is a feverish pace that they play at. Shu, Shu. Before we progress, are you guys seeing me okay? Yeah. 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 Because I'm uh okay, I'm I'm jumping around. You guys are jumping around on my end, so I wanted to make sure that I wasn't the one who was struggling and being lost here. Uh system has a lot to do with it and uh their their unselfishness I think goes a long way toward making them a real difficult challenge. There are a lot of tenets that they do that are very Olson-esque. Uh and as you set a foundation for what basketball is, you know, good coaches find styles that they like to build on and they think it gives them an opportunity to be successful. Uh, but what's been what what I think is interesting offensively is that, that, that there's also a flexibility to what these programs do as well. Uh, you're looking at an Arizona team right now that is probably going to lead the uh, nation or be near the top as far as assist to bucket ratio is concerned. They were that way last year. They're going to put up 85 and 90 points a game and they're going to distribute the ball very well. And at the end of the night, you're going to see four or five guys on the roster who had four or five assists. And, and that makes it difficult on other teams uh, to be able to defend them. However, when there are certain advantages it's not always a, and and this is something for Olson, uh, for instance, that depending on the team, Olson would harp on. But I think uh, Matt's had some examples uh, with Sean Elliott where this comes into play too. Olson had some sort of sheet in front of him that said something to the effect of with certain teams, the difference between I think it was four pa- three passes and four passes on an offensive possession means that uh, you were able to score on a much more consistent basis. So so with some of his teams, he'd won at least four passes on the offensive end. I think that's the number. It could be two to three, but you get the idea. Moving the ball around a little bit gives you better, ultimately, in a shot clock, better opportunities to score. However, like Olsen, Tommy Lloyd and guys like Mark Few also notice if there's a mismatch situation, there's not a problem taking advantage of it. And Arizona did that today with Ballo. Gonzaga, over the course of the last three years, has done that with Timmy. And so while they're also very good at moving the ball around, and Ballo, who's a guy who benefits from this, uh, is certainly willing to find somebody with a better shot. Tabellus, who's the benefactor of this, is also willing to find somebody with an open shot. Just as often, if they have an advantage one-on-one, it appears that guys like Olsen when he was here, Few at Gonzaga, Lloyd in Tucson right now have no problem saying just feed the beast. And uh, that combination, I think, is something that certainly on the offensive end has obviously worked well for these programs. Shoot, real quick, and then we'll get to Matt. Uh, I've had a couple people ask, are you drinking a Dr. Pepper Zero? Yes. Yes, I am. The Zero is uh, indicative of uh, pretty much what I am. <laughs> Matt, Matt, when you, Matt, when you watch you guys, this- You guys are the heroes. I'm just the zero. <laughs> Matt, when you, watch this zero. Team, when you watch this team, what sticks out to you from kind of a, you know, obviously from an announcer X player perspective, the first thing, besides the fact that they play fast, what sticks out to you about this Wildcat squad? Because now we have a, we have a good enough sample size. They haven't just played Utah tech in directional schools. Now you played San Diego state, you played Creighton. What's one of the first things that really comes to your mind when you watch this squad? Well, a few things. Number one, Shu is no zero. He's my man. I love Shu. Loved him forever. And um, you said something. I think Mike or Shu said it. The word contagious. And 
I think when I think of contagious, there's a couple of things in basketball that I attribute that word to. One is a negative thing, you know, is free throws. You always hear when teams start missing free throws, you know, it becomes contagious and it's true. And you think of the word contagious, it's like a lot of times it has a negative meaning, like, hey, you're sick and you got the flu and it's contagious. But there is nothing more contagious in basketball than passing the ball and sharing the ball. And the, the sort of joy you get when I pass you the ball, Mike, and you and you score it, I pass you the yeah. ball, shoe, and you make a three. It, it's the best feeling in basketball. And when you recruit the right guys that understand that, like, and you go back to running the floor, one of the reasons these guys run the floor is because they know they're going to get it. And you go watch an AAU game, you go watch a lot of other college teams, guys run the floor a lot and they don't ever get the ball. And Arizona gets you the ball. And that's what that, that jumps out to me. I think the other thing, and Shu, you hit on this. I want to point this out. I asked Tommy the first game of the year this year. I think it was an exhibition game. Because sort of the standard announcer question is, you know, who's gotten better this summer? You know, who's going to surprise people? Who's the guy that is going to be the sort of, you know, um, most improved player that we didn't think about? And his answer was really similar to what you've noticed, Shu. And that was, he said, you know, he thought about it and he was actually going to say someone. And he said, I can't say one person because literally like yeah. the hell has gotten better. Zoo's gotten way better. You know, Ballo's gotten better. You know, Kerr's gotten way better. And he's right. Like it was not. And, and Tommy, as you know, doesn't he doesn't have a lot of coach speak. And it was not coach speak. It was he was dead on. They've all gotten better. That, that So for me, and I've said this, I think I said this on the air, which I feel guilty about saying it. I think I said this team had a had a high floor and a medium ceiling. Uh, but I, in all fairness to you, Matt, I sold you on that point, though. You can blame <laughs> me. Don't blame yourself. I sold you on that point. So blame I, Mike. I, hey, I was all in on it because I just couldn't imagine a team that lost. Okay, they lost three of their top seven, but the three they lost were the three best players. Right. And I couldn't imagine a team – you know, that didn't bring in, a, you know, didn't bring in a, you know, a one and done guy that was, you know, a lottery pick. I just, I could imagine a team that was ranked 15th or 17th, how they started the year is a perfect to me. It was like, yeah, that's who they are, but they've, they've surpassed my expectations. What Tommy has done to get them this good, this early, this connected on, on really both ends. And I, I think on defense, they can get better. I don't think they're there yet on defense. I think offensively, they've shocked me how good they've been, but I'm just I'm surprised how good they are right now, and their ceiling's a lot higher than I thought. One thing I was uh, I was fortunate enough to talk with uh, Tommy Lloyd. I'm, I'll tell you my story here in just a second because I don't think that he would mind. Uh, but real quick, game time, the official t- uh, ticketing app right here. Let's just say that you wanted to go to the Maui Invitational last second, and you're like, I have nowhere to go. I have nowhere to find any of this. That's pretty a t- terrible idea right now. <laughs> that would yes. That's where game time steps in, though. You can get on there. You can get your tickets last second. Many times it's sixty percent off. It's very good for the procrastinators out there. Again, check it out. Game time. Best way to support PHNX is by buying your tickets through the link in the description for the oh, for the William Brad Alice's of the world out there. This is a very good thing for you. Check it out. Game time. All right. Um. Tommy Lloyd said something that I thought was interesting because I was asking him, you know, like a lot of times you'll ask about players or whatever, just kind of off the record. And he said, honestly, and keep in mind, this is the first time I've ever really talked with him. And he said, honestly, I don't really care per se about whether a guy is viewed as a five-star player. I view two things. Do you have talent? Can you fit into my system? And will you buy in? And he said, if you don't have all three of those things, I'm probably not going to be really interested in you. That's why a lot of people ask, why does he only offer six kids in a class? Because he's very specific about what he wants out there. I thought that was a very interesting point. And he said they have to be able to buy in. And what I think he meant by buying in was, you know, Yes, you're going to get your you're going to get your shine, but at the end of the day it's about playing as a team. And he and he means it because you can tell Courtney Ramey and Cedric Henderson have been godsends uh, for this team, but they were not viewed as next level transfers the way that, you know, some guys that average 16 a game at Kentucky, for example, were. Go ahead, Shoot. Matt. Uh, I just want to say this is not Dr. Pepper, it's Stella. <laughs> um, uh- <laughs> 
I'm, you know, Stella uh, for someone who is stellar. I, I'm drinking this in honor of the European players on the team, but um, no, I, I think I think you're right. And and you know, nowadays we talk about the boxes that coaches have to check, and there's two boxes that they they really didn't have to check 20 years ago, even probably 10 years ago, and that is the, you know the transfer portal and understanding how to get someone in here or in a, in a program you know, right away that can play right away. And part of that is a, is a grad transfer. So now you get a guy that you got one year, right? So you don't have time to develop him. And, you know, now they can develop Umar Balo and Kirk Kreese, but you can't develop Ramey in right. six months. You, you, you got to know what you're getting. And so, so to understand not just getting a good player, but someone for the system, you know, for your team and really evaluating, like, I think Tommy so far, his ability to just evaluate in terms of pieces and put the pieces of the puzzle together, you know, uh, Justin Kyer was an awesome piece for them last year, mm-hmm. a veteran guy to right. play and played at a big time, you know, uh, uh, conference in the SEC. I'll tell you that. Okay. So two things about Ramey are about those grad transfers. They're home runs already there. I can't even believe how good they've been. Ramey to me, like I look at him and say, look, he probably played in the best conference in, you know, in America. In the, I agree. In the Big Twelve, for four years. So he's played at Fog Allen four times. He's played at you know Baylor. He's played. So I had no doubt he was going to be a baller. Um, but it just how he's fit has been amazing. You have seen, we've all seen guys transfer from mid majors. So when Henderson came from Campbell, and I've seen it with other programs. Those guys, sometimes you're a little uncertain of because they haven't really played at that level, and we've seen some guys struggle. But, I mean, he, he to me, has been another home run and um, maybe one of the smartest players I've ever seen at Arizona. His, his you know, how he plays the game. And I think, again, that's – Tommy looked at his tapes, and he said, okay, he plays Princeton. He cuts a lot. You know, he knows how to pass the ball. He understands offensive, you know, uh, strategy and so forth he would fit perfect in this system. So again, that's a, that's sort of another like two levels of Tommy really trying to figure out how does this guy fit in with what we do? And you've seen it already. Proof is in the pudding. See, that's one of the things that actually kind of fascinates me that I wouldn't mind delving into a little bit more because you're thinking, okay, this guy's in Campbell. How do they connect to one another? Yeah. I, I I understand it does. Is it, is it Henderson that's reaching out? Is it Lloyd that, or, or his assistants who have a list and say, yeah, maybe this is, this guy can work. This guy can, how many people are on that list in the first place? And then why do you try to reach out to one or the other? And then there was a, yeah. And then there was another question that I really wanted to delve into. And I don't, because I think you've had experience with uh, the second part of this with Olson. Um, and and we're seeing very similar things with Lloyd's Lloyd in regards to the way that they seem to develop and be able to improve players. Right. What is it that you observe out of them? Is it an ability to communicate and is it an ability to simplify? What are they seeing that gets through players that makes them so much better so quickly? I mean, look, you look at Olsen, obviously. Olsen's track record, how, ma- how many of the guys who spent 12 years in the NBA were five-star recruits for Lute Olsen? Not a whole hell of a lot of them, right. but everybody yeah. liked them. You know, yeah. and now you're looking at Lloyd here, and, and, and it appears clear that from a development standpoint, he's pretty damn good. What do <laughs> yeah. they do, what do, they do <laughs> that um, gets these players to that level? What's their connectivity? Well, Luke, Luke knows for me I got better because of KO. KO was like pushed me to like limits I've never seen in my life. But um, no, I think I think what I saw with Luke and what I can see from Tommy not seeing it every day is a few things. Number one, um, accountability. Like they are not afraid to, you know, get on guys that are that are here. Like you, you figure a guy comes in like Ramey or, or Henderson, you know, transfer. You want to treat him well. You know, show him, show him the good life in Arizona. They'll keep him accountable. Like he's on him. Look at what he did to Pella last night. He was yeah, no, all no over Pella in that game. But those guys know that Tommy loves him, and they know that he cares about him. He know that he's trying to get him better, and so I think they can take it. They can get coached really hard. And I, that's as I'm talking and thinking about it. That's one thing that they both did. They coached really hard. 
And they were fair, though. They were, I mean, Lute was really fair about it, but he coached you hard. He did not let you get away. We talk about, you know, it's funny. I, I remember I, I was thinking about this watching our the big guys for Arizona run tonight. And Lute was famous for big guys running. And I, I can remember my one of my best buddies, you know, God, God rest in so rest, you know, rest in peace, Sean Rooks, amazing human being. And when he got to Arizona, he was a little bit out of shape, a little bit, you know, not in the best physical shape. And Luke rode him every day. And to your point, not only was he not a four star, he was a red shirt his freshman year and played 12, 13 years in the NBA. But every single time Sean Rooks didn't run the floor, he yelled at him. Every single time, he never let him get away with it, and um, and then Sean became just you know an amazing skilled player down in the post, which leads me to my next question, Mike Luke, who is the best big man tandem in Arizona history? Is you it? Know, I was trying Omar to get Ball? I was trying or, to get creative with it. Um, I wanted to give your I wanted to give your guys t- team a little bit of a, a shine as well. <laughs> But if you were just to ask me, I would probably go with Michael Wright and Lauren Woods just because of how well I thought they complemented each other. I still believe that Lauren Woods, to me, was the most dominating defensive presence that I've seen here at the U of A, in my opinion. And Michael Wright, even though he was like six foot six, you talk about a guy that every single game you knew would get you 15 and eight. It's not going to get you 30 and 12. He was going to get you 15 and eight. He was versed with his back to the basket. I thought they just worked incredibly well together. To me, it's right in woods. Now, I'm going to ask you the question back. As somebody that played with a pretty good tandem himself, who does Matt Mulebach feel? And could Tabellus and Ballo be in that discussion? Well, I think they can be in the discussion. we got a few more games uh, to play yeah, for sure. and watch, but they've been really good early. And I think they're in the discussion, right? Um, you know, I think I just mentioned Rooks. Rooks and Brian Williams were pretty special. My freshman year, Anthony Cook and Tom yep. Tolbert were pretty special. Um, so we've seen some other ones. I, I without thinking about it a lot, I, I, I probably agree with you. I think Woods and Wright would be at the top of the list. You know, I, I probably an underrated one was was Tarzuski and uh, Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, much more of a defensive tandem than offensive. Um, than some of the, maybe the guys I just mentioned, but um, I don't know. Shoe, you got any? Uh, Not particular. I think you guys have uh, covered the candidates uh, on a number of the candidates pretty well. The good news is that it's a conversation you can have uh, that suggests uh, a quality basketball program who's had uh, decades of success. If you can have conversations like that, it means that you've had a lot of good players come through your program. Do you, Jose Roman made it? Jose Roman made an interesting point right here. He said um, he asked about. Uh, excuse me. He said, "What do we what do we think about letting teams back into games right here? Because this was a game again that Arizona. Granted, it's against a high powered offense, but this was a team that uh, you know was up 13, 14 points, and man, that lead that lead was gone pretty quickly right there. What do you attribute that to? Well, uh, remember last year. Arizona destroyed Wichita State in the first half. They were up, I think, 25, yeah. maybe 28. And Wichita State came back and actually tied it. Um, so I think a little bit of it is early season. I, I also think it's the nature of basketball. I mean, watch the NBA every night. That that three point, the three point shot. I mean, that guy for Creighton hit a, you know, 28 footer, you know, to bring it to within whatever it was, three or whatever. So I mean, you know, if if Ramey hits the open three with about two, three minutes to go, they're up 10. They never even get it close. He misses it. Creighton scores twice in a row. They get it down to three or whatever. So I think it's part of basketball. I think it's a three-point line. Um, I do think Arizona, because they play fast, you have to live sometimes with the turnovers. Right. And they're going to play a lot of possessions. So they're going to, they're, they're playing really fast. They can go from six to 14, and they can go from 14 to six. I don't understand, and Shu, you and I have talked about this. I don't understand why coaches that have better players wouldn't naturally want to play like this. I think Roy Williams had a quote a while back where he said, if I've got better players than you, I want to have more possessions. I mean, it just it gives me more of a chance to exert myself. And again, I'm not taking shots at anybody. I just never understood why coaches wouldn't want to play like this. We're obviously, you know, blessed to have watched Lute Olson, one of the kings of fast-paced basketball, Tommy Lloyd the same way. But it just it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me why you wouldn't want to play at that kind of pace. Shoe, is it just about control? Uh, probably. I think there's a little bit of micromanaging going on and uh, being perhaps 
not as trustworthy as maybe you could be uh, with the players who you recruited. So, you know, you like to keep the reins in. You're more comfortable. Tony Bennett is probably the best example of this. He right. is an excellent coach who believes in a system. The system works, uh, but aesthetically it's frustrating to watch. But, I mean, he's won a national title off of it. He's, he's, he's created a program at Virginia that had pretty much no history before that. There's no question Tony Bennett can coach. You know, and, and, and his dad before him and some other guys who have utilized this system have been effective in what they do. It's not a style that I prefer, but I get why coaches like it. I get why you can see that it works. Uh, but, you know, I think there's, I also find myself kind of gravitating toward, you know, liking what Olson did and liking what Lloyd did in that they are willing to run, willing to, and willing to allow players to make mistakes. They don't want players to make mistakes, but there's an understanding that that sort of thing is going to happen. And if it does, you just, you believe in that system enough that it's going to usually prevail. And so far for Arizona, clearly it has. Um, but I think Jose brings up a very legitimate point. And, and Matt's, to Matt's point where that's the nature of basketball, certainly that's the case. But when we get later into the season and there are games that are frustrating, I think one of that that's going to happen for one of two reasons. And it's going to happen because at some point in this conversation, we're going to say that Pella Larson or Henderson aren't as good as Dalen Terry at getting a defensive stop or uh, Ballow, while good, isn't the defender that Coloco was on the inside. And Ultimately, while Arizona has done a remarkable job so far, probably exceeding expectations in filling the gap between three guys who were instrumental to their success last year, the eventual reality is that they're th this year's team, while really good and a problem and a team that can be a factor in the NCAA tournament, is not as talented as last year's team. That's okay. But there are certain points in time where that's you know going to be a problem, and I suspect on the defensive end, late in games when you have to get a stop, that's going to be an issue. And I think the games where this is really going to be a problem are closer in style to San Diego State or much of San Diego State than they were tonight against Creighton. Uh, Arizona got up double figures in most of this game, and then while they were playing fast, they were running out the clock, and it worked. Uh, Creighton didn't have enough time to catch up. But the games that become difficult are the ones where Arizona can't score in transition, aren't effective with fast break points, and have to grind things out on both ends of the floor. And then you're going to get it, – it, it's not about Arizona's inability to score. I think, it, I think it's pretty clear they're going to be relatively effective in that regard. But it's about their ability to get big stops, enough big stops in big times that's going to allow them to propel when we're talking about this in March to the next round – and the next round, and the next round. They were exceptional in this tournament, but there are still some things that you see out there uh, that can obviously be problematic as we're talking in post-game shows in January, February, and March. J uh, Jacob Franklin, could we go to the by the numbers right now? I want to see what the guys think about what uh, Jacob's got up right here. All right, rebounding 38-29, assist 20. The field goal percentages so far have obviously been really good. What's impressive to me is that Arizona go uh, Arizona's outshot by 10 percentage points from the three-point line, and for the majority of this game, it felt like they were in control, fellas. Yeah. Yes. No, it's, it's it, it, for sure. Like, I almost look at the score, and you felt like Arizona dominated this game for about 37 minutes. I mean, right. dominated. So I, it almost is weird to look at it to see a two-point game because it really wasn't ever a two-point game. Right. It was it was you know seven to fourteen the entire thirty-seven minutes. Yeah, and also a, a number that's really nice out there and something that Arizona needed to do tonight and did an extraordinary job is not allowing second-shot opportunities for Creighton, and that was I think instrumental not just in their overall rebounding advantage but in just negating what it is that Creighton any team as good as Creighton offensively if you give them more than one opportunity on the offensive end their chances of scoring increase significantly and i think the wildcats did a very good job on the glass in this game and it and it uh, it helped to negate that and that was one of the areas that they needed to excel and so there was a lot of discussion tonight in the broadcast uh, about how jay billis was talking about arizona defensively 
But I think Arizona's defense was helped a great deal by Arizona's ability to dominate on the glass. All right, let me tell you real quick about more furniture, morfurniture.com. Now, you might say to yourself, look into these three guys right here, Mike Luke, John Schuster, and uh, Matt Muehlbach, a.k.a. Pete Williams, one of the guys that got the program off the top. And you're probably thinking to yourself, Matt Muehlbach probably has the best furniture there. I would imagine that he does, although I have an A backing me right now. But if you want to be like if you want to be like the cool kids, go to more furniture. They've refurnished the entire PHNX studios. I've been in there. It's absolutely amazing. Great deals. Um, go in there. They can help you out with basically anything that you want. Check it out, morfurniture.com. All right, guys, let's kind of uh, – let's hear – let's just – what are your overall – you know, before we sign off, what are your overall just feelings of this team? Now that we know against good competition what they are, where uh, where are we right now and where do you think this team is going forward? Shoe, and then I'm going to let uh, the D1 athlete finish it off right here. Sounds good. Arizona's good. Uh, they're going to be a problem throughout the course of the year. The system works. Uh, I am not, oddly enough, while I think you have three very legitimate teams that can make deep tournament runs uh, who played in Maui, Arizona is one of those teams. Uh, I think we all agree Arkansas is really good when they get at full strength look out. Creighton is clearly legit. And when you get into the tournament, you don't have to play three games in a row. And I, I think that may have been maybe a little bit of an issue today as well. But I think you can favorably argue not just because they won the tournament, but minute by minute for the longest amount of time in this tournament, Arizona was the best team in the field. And is that going to remain? Are teams going to be able to catch up and close the gap a little bit? Is it one of those situations where, you know, in the early days of Lou Olson, you talked a lot about how Arizona was just head and shoulders ahead of everybody in November, but eventually other teams would uh, be able to catch up and make things a little bit difficult? Maybe that conversation is in the months ahead, but Arizona has versatility on the offensive end. Ramey has given them a real nice addition in the backcourt that helps Creesa uh, get free. Their two-man punch on the inside is valuable, and they're getting some bench, bench contributions as well. If you're the opposition, you have to be really concerned about Arizona coming to the table. Doesn't mean they don't have issues. There obviously are those that linger. But at this stage, you're kind of nitpicking and certainly liking what you're seeing. What do you see out there, Matt? Yeah, I love that shoe. I mean, I, I would agree with all that. I, I think, you know, one thing I would take away from the, the Maui tournament is I thought they played really three different styles really well. You know, Cincinnati was a little bit, you know, all over the map, kind of a young, inexperienced team, but shot the heck out of it. You know, and they pretty much handled them like it was nothing. Um, you know, San Diego State was the was Houston light. Um and close to Houston from last yeah. year. And remember the, the the narrative after that was, you know, they were tougher, they were bigger, they were stronger. Arizona needs to get a little tougher. I thought Arizona showed its toughness last night. Now they still turned it over twenty one times or whatever it was. They need to get better in that respect. But to, to to basically lead that game start to finish and dominate them and win by whatever you know seventeen or whatever it was, um, showed me a lot. And then they played a Big East team today skilled team that can score a hundred can go you know bucket for bucket I think that says a lot you know we said it earlier I'll, I'll repeat or be you know repeat earlier that just all those 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 guys coming back have been really good and better and then the the two grad transfers so I think their top six I think their top six is is about as good as anyone you're going to see this year there might be a couple teams out there that have a couple lottery picks that are going to you know, could challenge that for sure um, I'll tell you the other thing I do like. I like the little contributions that Adama Ball made. You know, he's got a, a little ways to go, but I thought he handled it well. Uh, his his ball handling was good. He gave some good contributions off the bench. Didn't see it a lot in the scorebook. You know, didn't see eight right. points or ten points. But I like Vasar. I think Vasar the same thing. He did a lot of little things pretty well, even though he's got a long way to go. You know, and he's I think he's going to be a really good player. So. They're not the deepest team. In fact, they kind of remind me a little bit of UCLA right now. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, they, their top six is really good. Now, UCLA's top six is really good. So, look, like Shu said, they're going to be a problem. But as an Arizona fan, I think you got to sit back and say, this is so much fun to watch. Right. And get ready to go to McHale 
watch this team score anywhere from 80 to 100 points every game out. It's fun. It's exciting. It's contagious. They're unselfish. And we know Arizona fans know basketball. Hmm. And they, they appreciate really good, you know, high IQ basketball, sharing the ball, playing fast, playing what, what I would consider kind of the right way, I guess. Um, and I think it's just going to be a fun year. And, I, you know, I took away, you know, Jay Billis said something in the broadcast that I was thinking, and he said this, because I think Shulman said something to the effect that, hey, Arizona's going to still be really good. You know, they lost Sean Miller, Tommy Lloyd in his second year, and Jay Billis said, no, 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 this is going to, like, blow up. Like this is right. gonna, this is gonna hit next level stuff. Right. So put your seatbelt on, Arizona fans, because Arizona basketball is gonna hit next level. Right. All right, everybody out there, can't thank you enough. Big big turnout right here. Um, uh, all the comments, you guys are greatly appreciated. Shu, as always, uh, and uh, Matt Mulebach, you have an open invitation whenever you want to <laughs> hop on here. I know you're a busy man, but it was great seeing you, buddy. I really appreciate it. Hey, same with you guys. Love, love your, uh, love your takes and your, uh, your, your expertise on Arizona basketball. All right, I'll be bothering you during the Warriors game tonight. <laughs> Playing the Clippers, by the way. <laughs> hey, by the way, if if I get that that speaker thing that that shoe has right there, will my voice sound as good as that? Well, I mean, that, whatever that black like the microphone better. thing, because because yeah. that voice mm-hmm. is so good. I just I no. wish I had that. <laughs> Uh, I think somebody uh, this what is this like your target Christmas list or something like that? <laughs> all right, okay, that'll be all right. Now, now we all know what to get. Mulebach, get ready, everybody. Mulebach's going to have fifty-five podcast microphones available to him <laughs> by the next time he pops onto the show. He's going to have the huge studio set up. Oh, yeah. He's going to have the insulation going on with the sound just locks down. Every, oh man, are you going to oh, sound impressive? No laundry hanging oh, up. No lighting messed up. You're going to sound like vo- no audio, audio is going to be perfect. You're going to sound like we're, we're going to confuse you for our pal Ryan Radke. It's just, you're just going to be Mr. Voice Guy, and, and, right. and he's going to be doing Westwood be... One games and it helps Monday Night Football. Just like to, this I, broadcast. I used to be told I had, a, I had a face for radio, but now I'm thinking I really just have like a face for TV, but not a voice for anything after well, seeing this whole thing. When you're a commentator, when you're a lawyer, when you're an XD1 athlete, we're not going to feel too bad for Mr. Matt Mulebach right there. But uh, have, Hey, have a good holiday, guys. Yeah. Hey, hey happy as Thanksgiving. All, as always, appreciate all of you. Everyone out there, have a happy Thanksgiving. Um, appreciate you guys hopping on. Jacob Franklin is always making us sound cool. We will be back with you. You've been listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast.